Hello, everyone. Benji and Igor here from Contractor Evolution. Today, we're going to dive into the all-important topic of performance culture. We in the contracting space offer a human-delivered product and service. Think about that, a human-delivered product and service. This competitive edge comes from having the best talent performing at the highest level. In other industries, technology, pharmaceuticals, there's IP or technological advantages that set the best apart. We, in our space, don't have that luxury and we rely exclusively on great people performing at their best as a group. And your job as a leader is to instill a culture of performance into your business because that's what is going to help you attract and retain top talent. If you don't create this kind of environment, you simply will not have access to the best people because whether you realize it or not, they have options, they're looking for it, and they will go find it somewhere else. So this is why today we're excited to have Nestor Trango, a true creator of performance culture, on the show. He is the founder of SolarWorks, a solar contractor currently operating in three different states, but based in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Nestor's growth over the last three years is truly jaw-dropping. Get this, his company has gone from doing just $1.2 million a year in revenue with five staff only three years ago to finishing this last year at just under $11 million in revenue with a staff of 80. This year, he's on trend to more than double that again, and his recipe for success from day one has been to create a high-performance culture from the ground up. And in today's episode, we're going to dive into the key ingredients that he's integrated into his business to produce exponential growth. Guys, Nestor is just such a beast and listening to him take us through his formula to building a performance culture was awesome. Uh, My favorite parts were we got to talk in depth about how to actually integrate core values into a company's DNA rather than just being some fluffy bullshit phrases posted on the office wall. Uh, He tells us in depth how he delegates to stimulate growth in his people and is constantly promoting from within. And he also shares how they celebrate and recognize success to keep the team hungry and humble. Let's get into it with Nestor Tarango. You're listening to Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. If you're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Nestor, welcome to the show, man. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's really good to see you. We're excited to do this. Yeah, we're pumped for an exciting episode. We're going to dive into uh, creating a performance culture and all the the interesting and complex things that are involved to do that. Um, One kind of thing I want to start with is this is this concept that that I believe so deeply which is that a strong performance culture doesn't happen randomly right it's very premeditated there are a series of ingredients that go in and with discipline with focus and with time um, they're instilled in the organization and you've done such a tremendous job at, at putting that into your company and in the way that it's shaped the day-to-day of your business and as a result um, you've seen tremendous growth so um, you know Nestor I've heard you say before that um, you know the starting point for great culture is in its core values so I'd love to open just with you know what are the core values that you sort of stand by and that you instill in your organization and how have they shaped SolarWorks? 
Yeah, so we have three. We try to keep it as simple as possible. First one is mastery, integrity, and excellence. So mastery, uh, what that means to me is basically being an expert in your craft, whatever it is. So for us, it's solar. So not only like having the company as a whole, having a really broad and, and deep understanding of the subject, but within within the company, in each department, you know, there is tons and tons of books written on sales and on marketing and on production and operations. And so not only mastering, you know, the craft of, of you know, solar or roofing or whatever, whatever field you're in, but actually like mastering what it is to do whatever job that you're doing, whether you're in the field, a laborer and you're a craftsman and making sure that you have, you know, your, your workmanship is the best that it can be and that you're constantly learning new techniques and ways to, to give the customer a better experience, whether you're in sales and you're learning how to prospect better, present better, close better. So this core value, it's, it's really a, a learning core value, right? It's like we, we really do value learning and we're curious. We're always hunting down information. Uh, this is what drew me into BTA. I, fit, I knew that there was something for me to learn within this group. So, uh, you know, it drew me right in kind of like a, like a, like a fly to one of those, uh, those lasers, you know? Um, so that's really important. So mastery is just is just kind of being an expert in what we do. Uh, the next one is integrity. So, you know, we like to say we don't do anything illegal, unethical, or immoral. Something an old CFO taught me um, a long time ago. But more than that, more than that piece, it's about integrity from the perspective of you know if you have think of a table, and a table having integrity, like does the table wobble a lot? Is it flimsy? And so building our business around, um, you know consistency, something that's stable, something that's going to last a really, really long time. We want to build our house on the stone, not the sand, you know? So when the storm comes, the winds blow, our, our house doesn't fall down. Mm-hmm. So everything that we're trying to do, we're trying as best we can. And it's hard in solar, but we're trying to, to think 20 years out, you know, and think, is this decision going to really benefit us for the long haul? Because the last thing I want is to be walking at the, into the grocery store locally, wearing my solar works gear and, some person walking up cursing me out because of something my company did. Right. Right. That's the last thing that I want to have happen. And the last thing I want to be known for. So um, we really do talk a lot about that. And, and I think thinking and thinking long-term really does kind of get people thinking in terms of integrity. Like what's the long-term outcome of this decision. And then the last one is excellence. And, and really in just a basic sense, uh, striving for perfection in a more, um, broad sense it's kind of kind of like the virtue of excellence and really trying to trying to do everything very very well and uh it, it kind of ties into the other two core values a lot but we're really striving for perfection and um i know that we're never ultimately going to achieve that but that really is our aim and we don't want to kind of rest on our laurels or get comfortable or complacent if we're not perfect and, um, and there's always, there's always room for improvement, even if it's marginal. And so just kind of driving that into the organization. Yeah. yeah. So those are our core values. You know, I have a favorite of those three and it's mastery. And the, the reason that one hits home for me is it's, it's some, it's a, I've had to round this corner myself in the last few years 
which is getting kind of humble and realizing that no matter what you're doing, there is somebody, there's actually probably scores of people that are better at that thing than you. And not only are they better at it, they've probably written a book or have a course or like there's a, there's a way for you to plug into their knowledge. Like you and I have talked about this a lot, Igor. It's like, if you want to do something, find out who's done it better and just go copy them. And so like adopting that as a, as a mindset is, is difficult because you, you need to, first of all, admit that you're not as good at things as you maybe think you are. And, and, um, that, takes a certain level of humility, which can be tough sometimes. But um, I, I love that mastery piece. I'd be very curious to hear how you guys integrate that into uh, the team. Um, I wanted to look at this from the other angle really quick before we dive into what you guys do and, and the lessons you've learned. Um, I, I've learned a lot from being on low performance cultures. And there's there's some insight you can gain there. Like, uh, this story when I was, I don't know, 15, I played pretty competitive rep soccer and there was one team that I was on. We lost all 12 games of a 12 game season. And there were like, there were good players on that team. Like it was guys I'd played with before, but we had a new coach and like, it was unbelievably sad and hard and not a fun year, obviously. But I learned so much from that experience. Like, uh, you know, poor communication between teammates, no accountability from the top down, uh, no candor, no transparency, no honest feedback. Like there were all of these things that I could be like, okay, this is what not to do in the future. And I, I wonder, are there any um, lessons that you've learned sort of from a similar situation? Are there, are there maybe underperforming teams or cultures or organizations you've been in the past where you can say, yeah, this is what not to do for SolarWorks? I love that what you just said. I mean, it's it's spot on. Um, I, I think the the one thing that for me that I've learned is that you in a non-performing culture, it doesn't necessarily mean you have bad players on the team. You just have everybody playing their own game, right? And when nobody's really working with each other, and everybody is out for themselves, and like you said, nobody's taking accountability, and nobody nobody's just they're not trying to work with each other. It creates chaos, and it and it creates like a really hostile work environment is what I found because it, when, you know, when you don't have these things defined about who, who is this company, right? Who are you going to be? What are you going to represent to the world? And it's just kind of loose. You have like one bulldog of a personality come in, which, which happens in, in all companies too, right? I mean, you, you have a bulldog come in who may be great. They may not be, yeah, and they can be really disruptive. And, um, and so I think, I think getting the harmony and getting people to play well together and to have alignment in what the bigger picture is, um, that's that's really where core values come in, right? Because we can all agree on something. We're all going to agree on this one thing. And when I can have, when I have that basis that I can bounce decisions or or bounce ideas off of mm-hmm. off of that backboard, then I have something that um, th- that at least I, c- I can get buy in because hopefully other people are bought into that same thing. And mm-hmm. if they're not bought in, then, you know, I have some grounds to be able to say, well, maybe this isn't the right culture for you. But when it's not there, you just don't have any standards and you just have everybody kind of doing their own thing. Um, it's, it's just, it's just a mess. It's mm-hmm. chaos. Most hostile work environment I've ever been in was, uh, was something like that. And, you know, you had one person who, had their own set of core values. They, I mean, we were, it's not like we were writing these on our own boards. It's just, that's the way we operated. And everybody was kind of just operating under what they thought was best for the company. 
yelling and screaming at each other and just making it this really uncomfortable place to work. Hmm. Um, that, that was the worst culture I've ever been in. Yeah, it's very interesting. I think one of the mistakes that that a lot of leaders make is, well, one, I think many don't haven't even put time into thinking through what their core values are, but way more than that, um, they don't actually bring that unified message to that point. You may you may have a lot like a lot of high performers on a team, but if you don't unite them through leadership, through communication, through messaging of a well thought out vision purpose core values um even high performers won't work well together you have one of these scenarios where it's like two plus two equals three yes yeah you've got all these like unbelievable resources and assets and because there's no they're not unified you you squander what could be something some synergy into something that's like totally underperformance you see this in sports these teams with these stacked rosters that like are a little bit above 500 and people go well what's happening totally and and you know to to explicitly talk about it here these these core values that nestor mentioned are are so powerful if integrated well but if they're not they're just ideas on a board where so many companies have that and their their leaders couldn't even speak to what they mean and what we see here just in the way that nestor even described and you can see that he believes in them he understands them he can communicate them as a leader um and that and that's really the important bit it's an it's such an important piece you you just hit on something that hits home for me i see this all the time at every conference and every book on every youtube video every motivational speaker they talk about values like it's become such a buzzword in the last 10 years but i i gotta i gotta say like i think most people that talk about values they actually First of all, I'm not even sure that they can define what these $5 words mean. They just like Google the fancy sounding word and put it on a poster on the wall. And secondly, there's they're, they're definitely not doing anything to integrate those things. You'd be totally. like, well, what's, what are your values? You'd be like, well, quality, honesty, and hard work. And, you, and you're like, okay, well, where's the evidence? Like, can you show yeah. me that? Like, what does that look like tangibly in your business? So that, that sort of like gets into this next line of questions, Nestor. Like, what are the tactics... Like, how do you take mastery, integrity, excellence? How do you inject that into your business? Yeah, and turn them into an everyday way of operating. That's the fascinating part. Yeah. Yeah, and just to comment real quick on what you said, I think think you're right that most business owners have some core values that they wrote down. And And I think the reason that is, is they read in books, like your business needs core values. Like you need to have these core values. And so it's like, all right, I gotta do it. Like, it's just like a task that I need to- that I need to do it, like almost like it's magic. Like once I write them down, now that I have them, my culture is going to be better. It's just a and box I put to them check. On the wall. Yeah. And I, and I put them on the wall. My culture is going to be better. And, and I think the, you know, going back, going to the tactics part of it is that it really comes down to leadership, right? So it's really hard to separate the two, like the core values in and of themselves don't, don't mean anything, right? It's, it's, they are just $5 words. They're just words on the wall, right? It really comes down to what is the leadership about? And so what I found to give us a lot of lift was, you know, when, when the first core group of guys uh, were sitting in an office, I was just kind of thinking through like, who are we? Like what makes us kind of unique? What makes us a little different? Um, what have I been operating under for the last five years? What are those values that I, like, I don't have to try very hard to change my behavior. And that's kind of how I operate already, right? If it's something that's completely foreign to me as a person, and I'm trying to make these my core values, it's going to be very challenging Mm -hmm. to integrate these in the organization, right? 
because um, there's a there's a, a lot of truth to the idea of the speed of the leader, the speed of the team, or whatever the the lid is of the leader. Right? Most people are not going to surpass you in in your leadership ability, in in, in exemplifying your core values. You know, you're going to kind of be it. So, um, it really comes down down to you. And I remember when we first formulated these core values. And I was like, I was reading some Epictetus, The Art of Living, and Stoic Philosophy, and he talks a lot about virtue and a lot talks a lot about living like the good life, like a virtuous life, like a life of excellence. And in, in my life at that time, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't. I was like, if I was, if I was being honest, I wasn't really living a life of integrity or excellence. The mastery piece, sure. Like I, I, I love to read. I love to study. I love to learn new things. But the other two, I, I really had to have a, a hard talk with myself. And, and really say, you know, if, if you're going to say, if you believe that your business will be better than everyone else, or, or, you know, will be, will be able to lead this market, right. With these core values, you better be able to, to back it up and you better be able to walk the walk. And it was a really humbling conversation with myself mm-hmm. and I had to change a lot of things, mm-hmm. but every day I would just kind of run through these in my mind. Like, like, am I, am I leading with integrity? Am I leading with excellence? Am I making decisions that are short-term? Are they for the almighty dollar? Are they because it's easy? Are they, or is it because it's in alignment with my core values? And it, and it really did help me get in the line and almost like clockwork, like, you know, the people, the people around me started to see it and kind of get buy-in, mm-hmm. right? They started to see this as kind of like inspiration. And um, so the, the, the big thing is, is you got to demonstrate the core values. Every company has core values. I'm convinced of that. No matter what company it is, if you're a group of people working, you have core values, whether you have them written down on a wall or not. And they may not be the core values that are on the wall, right? right? They, they may be something else. And that might be okay, but I think it's it's imperative that you figure that out and identify what they are that that are you believe are good, that makes you unique, that makes you different, that that you can promote and and used to recruit other people who share those same values and share that same vision. Um, because when you can explain it and you actually live by it and you could show examples of that, um, people are drawn to that. Right. Like for us, when we interview, it's, it's very rare where we interview somebody and they're like, yeah, no, I, I don't want to do this. Like it's very rare. I mean, because we talk about how we're trying to be different and you know um, how we like you know, we're, we're in a bunch of different coaching programs working on a NABSEP certification for solar, which is, uh, is, you know, to, to have this certification for a company, like you can get it for an installer or for a sales rep, but to have it as a company, there's only like 10 installers in the entire country that have this certification. It's really challenging. And so because it fits with our core values of mastery, like, Hey, it's hard. And yeah, we're not going to make any more money doing it but it fits within our core values. We need to pursue this. We should pursue this and get everybody certified so that we can get this, this big certification. Um, so that's like an example yeah. um, of how, like one way that we integrate mastery into our core values. We have a, we have a company library. We pay people 20 bucks um, for every book that they read from the library. And if they just write like a real quick summary, um, you know, we'll give them 20 bucks. Um, we have, regular challenges. Like we'll have a book of the month. Like I just started a president's club. So we'll have a book of the month challenge for that. Um, and you get points if you, if you do your book challenge. Um, 
And, you know, for, for excellence, like we'll do other challenges. Like sometimes we'll have, uh, like we'll even do fitness challenges, right? As an example. Really? Yeah. Because mastery is not just mastering what you do. It's also about self mastery, right? It's about mastering your emotions, mastering your well being, not being, not being like overworked, like a workaholic, like that's not mastery to me, right? Mastery is somebody who has, um, who has a, a handle on their life. And so we really try to teach that. Um, so like, for example, over the summer we did, um, uh, 30 days we, we read, we read as a group, um, Anthony Robbins awaken the giant within over 30 days. And then we did a, it was every day you had to work out for, I think it was 45 minutes. It could be anything. You could have gone for a walk, but it was every day. Like you had to do it every day. And if you didn't do it, then you, you lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so, you know, we do a lot of stuff like that. Um, just to try to, to keep these things kind of top of mind. Yeah. Um, because I truly believe that if people are working on themselves regularly, if every, if our group is doing that as a company, we, we are going to get better. And we've seen that with the people that we've brought on who have relatively no experience become experts. I mean, in a, in a pretty, pretty decent amount of time, right? Just because we're so focused on the personal development on mastery specifically. Yeah. Um, so it's really powerful couple, stuff. Couple ideas, but Nestor, I, I love what you just said about for those listening. Like that company library idea is a really good one. This is like a bundle of books. I'm assuming ten or twenty or ho- however many that you think are really important pieces of literature that you pay people to read. That's unbelievable. Yeah. You're doing fitness competitions. Like you, you are you are bringing mastery in a tangible, like reach out and touch it way to your company rather than just being this sort of abstract word that yeah. people don't really understand. If you think about it, cultures have been doing that for thousands of years, right? Where where lessons and mastery gets passed down through generations and through elders, those more experienced. But in the hustle and bustle of our world, especially in contracting, there's no shortage of stuff to do. I know that it's sometimes, I'm sure it's hard, it's hard to find time and that discipline to actually sharpen the saw as opposed to sawing away with the blunt one. But um, I, I love that, that, you know, to what Nestor was saying, that it's not only written on the wall, but that kind of stuff is practiced. On that note, I do want to just highlight one really powerful thing that, that, that we just talked about, which is that core values do exist. They're, they're in you, right? And whether they may be written on the wall or they may not, there may be different ones that are written on the wall, but those core values do exist. Um, and this is, I think, the fundamental question to ask is what do you stand for? What will you stand for? Um, and what will you lovingly hold the line on for everyone, mm-hmm. right? And if it's excellence, if that's something that you are truly passionate about, um, it's one thing just to say it and one thing to be it mm-hmm. and to hold the line with all of your people, right? And uh, and and I think that's that's where a lot of people go wrong in the early stages. They don't actually sit down and think, what are my values? You know, for instance, I mean, we know each other well. Like, I, I stand for excellence and a high level of execution, but that is sometimes in contradiction to being nimble and fast, right? Mm-hmm. So, I while I do think that's very important, I wouldn't necessarily say it's one of my core values the way that exceptional execution is right so sitting down with yourself as a leader i think or if you're already well underway with your leadership team and thinking through that what do we in true fact stand for um is is really the first step um 
Nestor, I want to kind of tangent to this is I want to talk about hiring people. So you run a fairly, quite a large organization. You've hired a lot of people. Your people have hired many others. How do you go about in the selection and vetting process, keeping core values front of mind? Like I've, I've, I've done, I think I tried to count over a thousand interviews in the last, in the last, you know, many years here. And that's one thing that's always front of mind in every single interview. In addition to interviewing for skills and the, and the types of experiences they've been through in life and constantly have our three core values front of mind. Tell me, Nestor, a bit about how you go about it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a work in progress, you know, as always, but um, we've learned a lot in recruiting. I think, I think last year, just like sales and marketing type positions, we probably onboarded over 150 people last year. And we're this, like this month, we've already onboarded 22 this month alone, you know? So um, one of, one of the things that we've do that we we've tried to implement the mastery piece is using all of the knowledge that we've learned, you know, through psychology and, um, you know, behavior studies and using, you know, some of the, some of the ideas from Carl Jung and the disc and Myers-Briggs and some of these different testing tools to try to align personality types with job fit. So that's like a big thing that we do, actually. So um, can you expand on this that? point? Like, tell us more about like your use of DISC, your use of Myers Briggs. Like, you, yeah. like your, your approach is more scientific than most. I think it's it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So um, basically, nobody comes into the company without taking two, at least two tests. Um, one is an intelligence test, which, as far as I know, is the is the biggest predictor of success for just in general. Like, just in general, that's that's the like the number one indicator of success. Um, but then the other piece is uh, we use a we use a tool called Hire Select. It's um, it, it measures a few different dimensions like conscientiousness, like um, assertiveness, like um, goal orientation. Um, you know how how you respond to stress, and it's kind of one of these surveys where you kind of you know it's a scale of one to five, and it asks you a question like. Um, you know, uh, do you like to be, uh, do you like to be alone, like kind of on your own at a party? you like to be the center of attention, right? Kind of measuring for introversion or extroversion. So it asks a, a whole bunch of questions like that. And it'll give us a profile of a, uh, of the, of the candidate that's applying. So we actually look at those two things first, the combination of the two, depending on the position. So let's say my position is something like, um, project management or accounting. Let's say it's accounting, right? Um, Extroversion is probably not going to be something that needs to be very high. It's probably going to be better if it's probably pretty low. Uh, they, they don't necessarily need to be talking to a lot of people all day. They don't need to be center of attention at all. They actually prefer not to be. High conscientiousness, high attention to detail. Um, I want to I wanna kind of have a profile in mind of what, that, what it's going to take to be successful in that job. And... Then when I go to the recruiting pool, so whether I'm using Indeed, ZipRecruiter, referral networking, whatever it is, I can I can test people and then I can benchmark their their results off of that test. Wow. And you know what what I've learned just over the years is that, you know, if you have the right personality type in the right type of role, you're going to have a higher probability of success. That's the basic idea of it. That's like the basic. Now, one thing that the test does not test for is hard work 
Are you honest? Um, do you work well with other people? <laughs> like mm-hmm. you, you, we don't know how to test for that necessarily. So that's kind of where the interview questions come in, hanging out with them. And depending on the position, we might, you know, we might take the whole, the whole team that they work with, you know, on a lunch date and we're just going to go hang out with you and we're going to see how you interact and, uh, and then be able to make a decision. But we try to use a, a lot of data points because, you know, if you make a bad hire, it's months before you realize it. And then it's more months to, you know, before you like to go through the corrective action and, and kind of move them on. And then you have to onboard somebody else. And it's like, you're spinning your wheels. Totally. You know, so we, we try to, we try to use science as best we can um, to like get us in the highest probability of success as possible. Um, and, and we've actually found that it's worked pretty darn well. And it's not perfect, but yeah, it's working. You know, I, I want to, go a little bit deeper into like that. How, how do you quantify these values things uh, mm-hmm. in, in an interview? Because like, you know, again, this is one of these pieces of wisdom that's shared everywhere. Now it's like hire on values, train on skill. Like we know this, but <clears throat> it's, it's sort of this ethereal intangible quality you're looking for. And I'm, I'm wondering like Igor, you've done thousands of interviews how do you assess whether or not somebody has the, the, the value of be real or has the value of like genuinely mm-hmm. care about people? You're not just going to say, Hey, are you going to be real? They go, yo, be super real. Like, so what's the process to try to evaluate whether or not this good stuff exists in someone that you're sitting across from? And, and as a result, are they going to sort of gel? Are they going to fit in? Is any insight you can share there? Yeah, totally. The first thing I'll say to that is in my experience, um, yes, people do change sometimes, but it is not very often. Right. When you look at someone's like true track record in life, and I'm talking everything, I'm not, I'm not talking just work, though work is a very big part of it. I'm talking about athletics. I'm talking about health, their family relationships, their education, People generally will tend to follow very similar patterns, especially when it comes to things like core values. Like, do you approach life with an attitude of mastery or not? Do you approach it in a very down-to-earth, real way, or are you trying to always portray something, Mm. right? These are fairly deep-rooted things, right? So yes, you can learn skills. Um, Yes, you can learn through different experiences, but these kind of deep-rooted core values in my experience tend to be pretty set and the thing that i'm always thinking about in interviews like i'm analyzing someone's life path of how they've progressed over a long long period of time and again it can be in, in any avenue of life because again in my experience i think that the way that they've approached their sports career, generally speaking, is going to be quite similar to the way that they might approach this similar type of situation in a work career, right? And if someone operates, to Nestor's point, if one of the core values is living a life of mastery, and they're going to do that when they're an accountant at SolarWorks, if they're going to if they do in fact have that, they've most likely lived that way and operate that way um, in many other aspects of their life. In, in how they lived it and how they approach their health and their fitness and the sports that they might have paid, played, uh, th- things like that, right? So um, 
there is kind of like an in- inherent wiring, I think, that people have. And, and, and as an interviewer, what you're really looking for are patterns over the course of their life story and where these things are or are not woven through that story. I love that. I yeah, love me that. too. Yeah. So that that's kind of that's my experience, and I think that from from an interviewing perspective, it's not like a you know sometimes there are certain things that I I take a chunk of time to interview for. I'm okay. I, I'm like I want to spend the next half an hour here diving into is this person super goal oriented or not, right? And I'll do chunks of time. Values are not one of them. I don't spend half an hour. I'm like, hey, let's see if this mm-hmm. guy lives his life. And do you live your life with integrity? Totally, That's I not, promise. Yeah. yeah, totally. So I don't approach it in like a blocky way where I'm like, hey, here's the next half an hour I'm gonna spend on this, the next hour I'm gonna spend on that. Values aren't one of those. Values are one of those that I'm evaluating throughout the entire story, throughout the multiple interview meetings. And I'm kind of painting that picture the whole time as I'm interviewing for all the other stuff. I'm looking whether this these values I'm looking for are interwoven through the whole picture. Mm-hmm. So let's use let's use an example. Like one of Nestor's is integrity. If 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 you are trying to assess whether or not somebody has that, like are there tells? Is there evidence? Is there stuff in their history that's going to tell you really clearly one way or another that that's there in that person? It's not it, the, the the the. I think the word really clear is is a tough one uh, when it comes to values. You almost have to let down the notion to be perfect in this. You're almost taking your best guess of like, am I actively seeing this? Right. But it will absolutely come about in the stories because when you as an interviewer, when you bring out the stories when they've been put into very challenging situations, um, that's when you you get the answers of how their mind plays out the story for them. And, you know, I often get sometimes the question of, well, can't someone fake it? If you really dive into deep life stories and you're going into details of like, when you moved across the country all by yourself and you had nothing when you landed but your car and the stuff in it, tell me about the first day. Tell me about the first week. What did you do after that? What was on your mind on that Saturday, the two days after you, can't you fake got that there? stuff? Yeah, like unless you're a pretty elaborate liar, yeah, yeah, it it would be very difficult to do that. So what you're looking for is when they've been put in these very challenging situations that they've had to make decision A or B. Which one did they make? How does their mind process these things, right? Um, and 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 a lot of these uh, these values, right? Like you can you can see to to, to Nestor's like around integrity, around excellence, around mastery. Um, it, it, if they are there, they will be apparent to you over the course of those stories in the way that that individual approach their life and how their mind um, navigates these, these decision points of like, are they going to spend that extra hour to make sure that it's just right? You know, yesterday I pick, I picking up my truck from, from the Ford dealer from a service and it was there all day, literally for eight hours. And there was some like recall on a door lock and, and the inside door panel, like I literally get there, the guys had it for eight hours. I get there, I'm there for 12 seconds and it's like creaking. And I'm like, clearly there isn't, if, if this person is doing this now, I can guarantee you that they didn't approach the vehicle they serviced yesterday or the one that they will tomorrow with that level of excellence because that level of work is good enough for that person and that's fine there's no necessarily judgment there but that doesn't necessarily line up with the expectations that i have or that i would have for my employees so you know i can almost guarantee that this individual will approach many different things in life in this manner you need to find a new ford dealer 
This has been going on for years. Every time you get your truck back, it has been going on for days. If anyone knows, this is like an ongoing thing. It was, they spent four hours working on the sunroof yesterday. If anyone knows if we're a good Ford dealer in Vancouver, (laughs) let me know. Anyways. So so just a, so just a comment. So, you know, you, your, your skill of interviewing has been developed over time, right? I can tell it's very sophisticated and, and that's awesome. And so we're, we're constantly working to improve that. And so when you add, to that, these tests, right? And these screening tools. So, you know, now rather than interviewing the 40 people, you might've had to do that without any of these tools. Imagine how exhausting that would be, right? Really trying to understand. I mean, there's been studies shown that just the interview alone is the least, um, like has the least probability of success rate, right? Just because it's so subjective, Mm -hmm. right? In, In like, is somebody bullshitting you? You know, like it's really hard to tell in an interview, but if you know they at least are such and such level of intelligence with such and such likelihood of job fit now with the top, let's say five candidates that come through that funnel, now you really can invest a lot of time and spend a lot of time with that person. Totally. I want to highlight that point. That right there is super important because, and I'll tell you why, if you're doing interviews properly, they are damn thorough right? And to Nestor's point, you cannot go damn thorough with a huge <laughs> 20 people. volume of yeah. applicants. They just do the math. It doesn't make sense if you're running well, like, you know, with all the other duties of, of any, of any given individual's job. So, um, yeah, I think that's a fantastic point mainly because like you have to be, if you're going to do it right, you have to have a relatively finite number of candidates that you're doing that level of thoroughness with. It's really good, guys. I um, it, this this point really needs to to ring home. Like, you're you're doing the interview in tandem with two or three other tools that you've used. Um, in the grand scheme of your business, you know, yeah, a disc test is what thirty bucks, but I'm sure it, this is that's money well spent to make your recruitment funnel that precise, and the end product of the person you hire is so much better. And there's an ROI there. Yeah. Um. I want to shift gears here and, and and get into something else. Another ingredient, I think, in really high performing cultures is there's a there's a delicate balance on like with delegation, right? Like like high performers really really hate to be micromanaged, but you don't want to delegate so much that you're in fact dumping on people where they they're given more than they can handle and they drown and you know you all of a sudden have a, a, a fire that needs to be put out. So, Nestor, t- talk a little bit about what delegation look like looks like for you as a leader, how that exists within SolarWorks. Um, let's go there. Yeah. So, I mean, the the three things that I said I can't test for really are hard work, honesty, and working well with other people. But as soon as I find one of those per, those people, I want I want them to go as far as they can in my mm-hmm. company. I want them to go as high and as far as they possibly can. So, what I like to start with is training, right, and tools, and basically giving giving this person all of the training, all the tools, all of my knowledge on the topic and the the how to and how I would do it. Um, early on and um, as, as, as soon as I, I can recognize it, as soon as I recognize somebody has these three character traits, it's like we're going in, right? And um, usually if they have these three, these three uh, kind of assets, if you will, um, they can almost take on anything, right? With, with, with some coaching, right? With some hands-on. 
Um, I've made a lot of mistakes of delegating too much, you know, kind of casting a vision, hiring somebody and kind of throwing them at it. And, and, you know, they were the right per they were the wrong person. You know, they didn't have the right equipping. Um, I got frustrated trying to equip them and, you know, we just got out of that initiative altogether. You know, that's happened a couple of times. Um, but there's been a few people when we bring them on, I might bring them on for a task. So like I might start them off with a task, right? So, you know, maybe, uh, maybe I recruit somebody on a part-time basis. This is how our recruiting part department started. Hey, you know, there's this task I would like to help with. It's a uh, pre-screening candidates. You know, can you do that? Um, and they do it very well. And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. So I'm seeing signs of hard work, honesty, right? And they work well. Like I can just kind of dish stuff off. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them a little bit higher of a goal, mm-hmm. right? See how well they do with that. Oh, maybe they don't do it as well. Now they need some coaching. Okay, let's try it again. They do it well. And then basically it's just kind of that process over time. But, it, but I'm looking to dish things off. Like that's a, that's a very key thing, right? Is that, uh, and maybe it's a personality type thing. I don't know, but I, I know like some business owners are very hands-on everything. Like they want to do everything in the business and it's no surprises. Their businesses can't, they can't grow because they, they, they can't keep the kind of person they need to be able to dish stuff like that up. So I'm, I'm hungry. I'm always looking for people who want more, Hmm. and who are ready to take on the next step. You know, people like I'm trying to see who, who might be close to getting good at their job. Cause if they're getting good, they're mm-hmm. going to be ready for the next thing pretty soon. And Esther, I want to ask it's you not, one interesting yeah. point on that because it, the, 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 the thing that I hear people say a lot to that is like, well, that individual can't do it as well as I can. Now, one thing I know about you is you have a bit of a gray area there, right? So if you, let's say, do something at at the 10 out of 10 level, uh, for however good that might be, um, what are you willing to accept in someone? Is it 10 out of 10 or do you have a bit of the leeway there? Uh, Totally. Yeah, it's total leeway. I mean, it depends on the task, right? Like it it totally depends on the task. Like there's certain tests they have to be done correctly. And there is no like, it's it's, it's like a pass or fail kind of task. Um, like, you know, the, the thing has to get inspected and it has to pass, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. oh, um, but there's other things where, you know, it, it could be a project. It could be, you know, um, it, it might not exactly fulfill my vision exactly, but it does the thing it's kind of intended to mm. do. And, and it's not, it sounds kind of very vague, but you know, you can kind of fill in the gaps there, but you know, 70, 80%, if they can get that far, I know that if they just keep working on it, it's going to get better. Totally. It's going to get better over time. And so, you know, yeah, it might be a 10 for me now, like just being able to go do it. But if this person is just kind of camping out on this project or on this process for, you know, three months, six months, they are, they're highly likely to get better than me totally. in that amount of time. So I'd rather invest. So, right. I'll throw my, I'll throw my, what I, what I my time, I guess what I would have spent doing that. And I'll invest in this person to do it with the idea that they're going to grow and they're going to grow into that role. They're going to grow and and they're going to, they're going to have a way better handle on it than I could. For example, um, we do our own like Facebook marketing. So um, we bought a course and we learned how to generate leads on Facebook. 
and I was doing it. So I did everything, built the whole thing, the funnels, the, you know, running the campaigns, getting the artwork, doing everything. It was a ton of time. Um, we recruited, uh, one of our, uh, a couple of our sales reps, their sister, we recruited her in. Um, she was in a completely different field, right? I tr- taught her everything that I knew. And I really was just handholding it in the beginning. Like it was just handholding. And eventually I just ran out of time. I couldn't do it anymore. And so I said, all right, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you some, you know, um, some, some breathing room here. And she has, she had a five, $6,000 budget a month. I mean, it wasn't insignificant that she was running. Um, and you know, it wasn't, it wasn't as good as me at first. Um, and so I would come in, you know, every two weeks, every week, every two weeks and kind of like ask questions and, and continue to push her and I'm still pushing her to get more training. So right now she's working on getting her Facebook certification. They have like, I think seven different certifications that you can get for uh, if you work at a branding agency. So she's getting the same type of training that some, like if she was working in a brand agency that she would get, but now, so now, so the fast forward, you know, almost a year later, she's running a budget of, of $20,000 a month. Um, probably knows Facebook more than anyone. I mean, I probably know a couple people that know Facebook more than her, but I have to pay them $250 an hour to talk to them. And that's a resource I've developed in house. Right. And that's, that's the difference. That's the mindset change. Right. Versus like, if if I tried to do that myself, I probably wouldn't even be doing it right now. We wouldn't be doing Facebook marketing because it's too time intensive. Yeah. What I love about that lesson and that story, and, and, and while it's, of course, told in so many business books and shows and stuff, like I love how practical it is here, especially in our contracting industry, as, as Nestor was talking about it, is, you know, people forget that, that if you want to foster that high-performance culture and you want high performers in your business, it's not just good to have that, give them that latitude and that learning, they have to have it, otherwise they're going to leave, because that, that girl is a high performer, being a really high performer, she wouldn't be okay if you sat there for a year and babysat her and didn't give her any latitude to to develop a high she'd performer. Be bored. She'd be bored. And she'd be mad at you too. And she'd be mad at you and she'd leave, right? A high performer needs to be able to run. It needs to be able to to do their thing. Absolutely. The other thing that that and ties I'm not in- perfect at that either. You know, I'm not, I'm not perfect at that. <laughs> what are you talking about? I, I thought all three like, of us I'm are. Sure, I'm sure there's people in my company right now that are like, dude, you need to, you need to, like go somewhere else. <laughs> <Quit> <laughs> <bugging> go. <laughs> um, another uh, area here I, I want to dig into um, is just like like your most important meeting rhythms. Like if you look at really high performance organizations of any kind, um, there's a there's like their calendar makes sense. It like there's a huddle, there's a you know, strategic like leadership partners meeting. There are one-on-ones. Like, tell us a little bit about your management rhythms. What are the most important meetings where you're getting together with your key staff, with your your direct reports? When are your direct reports getting in touch with their direct reports? Just tell us a little bit about how you guys have organized yourselves internally and, and how that flows from week to week, month to month. Yep. Uh, so basically, um, I think, I think I need to meet more often. Um, so I'm just, I'm going to kind of start with that, but we have a manager's meeting. So basically the manager of every department, every functional department within our business, we meet every other week. And then I do, uh, GSRs goal setting and review with my direct reports every other week. 
And then I just started a president's club. So with all of our top sales reps, I do that every other week. And we have, and then I attend our weekly sales meetings because we're very, uh, very uh, sales, uh, sales and marketing kind of um, driven company. I mean, you know, that's kind of what my background is. So it's kind of natural um, that that's kind of where I, I like to play. I, I love all the departments. I love all the people, anybody listening to this, but I get the most energy of hanging out and recruiting and sales and marketing. Like that's, that's the stuff I like to do. You know, um, I, I will help out in other areas and I will get in the weeds. Happy to do that. But I, I don't like to be there very long. They're, they're better at that, that stuff. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that, that's the gist of the meeting rhythms. Um, and and are, just, want, just to clarify, how many direct reports do you have and what are their, what are their roles? So uh, let's see. Direct reports. So I have a regional sales manager who has uh, currently two, soon to be three sales managers underneath him that each have about somewhere around six people underneath them. Um, and then he also has the canvassing managers underneath him. Then I have a operations manager who all of our project managers report to him. Um, we just got a, a CFO. Um, so CFO reports to me, but, but, right before that our senior bookkeeper um, was kind of running or is still kind of running the department. So um, that's four. And we have a telemarketing manager that we uh, are now turning into a virtual sales team. So he's actually going to be reporting to our uh, regional sales manager and uh, our recruiting manager, recruiting manager, and then our, our digital uh, marketing coordinator. Cool. Um, so those are my six. So it uh, that's perfect. So let me just ask a question there. So it, let's use the regional sales manager, the first one you listed as an example. In uh, in in what you're calling like a, the goal setting interview, what kind of stuff are you going through with that individual on that biweekly basis? What what is that just generally structurally? What does that meeting look like? So um, we we follow the BTA template per, for the most part. So it's generally you know what are the priorities for the next two weeks. What, what were the priorities for the last two weeks? Did we hit or did we miss? Um, we look at, are we on track or off track for our goal? Um, usually there's a couple of issues or projects that are going on that will be working through various challenges, right? It might be personnel issues. It might be budget issues. It might be um, just really brainstorming, like high level brainstorming. Um, but those, those conversations are, are usually they're pretty free flowing aside from um, like, are we on track off track from a sales totally. perspective? That's awesome. That's good. Uh, those kind of meetings in my experience are super important where they're, they're very, they're kind of these sacred one-on-one free spaces with your direct reports where you can hash out those things. Cause as we know in the business, we're like all sorts of curveballs are coming and you have to have that space where that person can problem solve with you. And it's not taken up. It's not in, you know, like a large group meeting format. It doesn't get derailed by other things on the agenda. Like you can one-on-one dive into what's there front of like right front of mind and what is needed to hit that weekly goal or that bi-weekly goal very focused and by and large i think that that piece is something that we see like largely missing particularly in the contracting space totally 
it's because like, it's so it's busy. chaotic. It's, 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 it's reactive chaotic. in nature. Yeah. And so you may have had something scheduled with your project manager for Monday afternoon, but ah, man, this really big client yeah. called and can we do it tomorrow? And then tomorrow's busy and it slips. And so this, you know, when we talk to our members about, hey, what has been one of the biggest implementation items that you feel has made the largest impact on your company? It's, it's these it's these rhythms. It's like I started doing one-on-ones with the, th- the three key people in my business. And sure enough, six months later, they're dialed into their role. They're hyper-focused on results. There's a you know clear chain of communication. The, the, you, the owner, actually have like a really good pulse on what's going on day to day. There's all this good stuff that comes from that. But it just it's it's a habit that you need to instill and and really, really be rigid on. Like it's you know, you don't you just don't miss your GSR meetings. Totally. It doesn't matter. Like And it's a great time to develop your people too. You totally. Know? That's what it's there for that, as well. That's for me. That's the main thing. That's coaching like literally time. the main thing. If it's with the group, I'm trying to develop the group. If it's with the individual, I'm trying to develop the person and, and kind of just get them. I'm trying to get them to think how I would think about the problem. Um, not not because it's the only way to do it. It's just that, you know, um, when they come, but when they come with an idea, the idea is that much more developed because they already know kind of the questions I'm going to be asking about it. And, and then they're going to add their perspective on top of that. And things just move so much faster when, you know, you're duplicating yourself across the organization. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. In my experience to, to build that high performance environment and culture, it is, it is a mix of, of the two of these, these, these kind of focused one-on-ones where that space is held for that. And powerful group meetings where the big energies there where you're not repeating things you're able to broadcast uh very kind of premeditated messaging to the whole organization celebrate wins make challenges that are in the way clear all this kind of stuff but it's it's definitely a mix of both totally um it's another key ingredient here that that i would love to speak to just from my own experience um which is the role of candor and and honesty and like really transparent feedback within a company so one of our core values at breakthrough academy is be real and we mean that in a couple different i mean there's a few meanings right like just be a real authentic down-to-earth person the other side of that coin is like you know be real with your opinions and your feelings and your perspectives. And so one of the things that I really admire about the, you know, what happens within the walls of, of BTA is like, it's a fairly flat organization in terms of like hierarchical stuff. Like, like if, if, if I come up with an idea at a, at a huddle, for example, and it's a bad idea, which I have a lot of like, Jane has no problem just completely tearing into me and being like, she definitely does not. Yeah, She's like, that's not, that's not <laughs> happening for 16 different reasons. So I'm like, okay, yeah, let me, you're right. Let me go think on that a little bit more. Uh, I'll get back to you. And you know, for a, for a fly on the wall or for maybe someone who um, looked at that from outside the organization, they might go, wow, these guys like lock horns a lot. Like they're kind of combative. They seem to be like really, really intense, but once you kind of once you put your feelings to the side and you understand that you exist within a culture that is focused on performance, you realize that those conversations are it's the rock that sh- sharpens the sword. You end up with a way, way, way better end product. And the other thing that you end up with, which people don't realize, is you end up with trust. Like mm. I trust 
my my team's judgment. I trust their opinions. If they say something to me, I know that it's coming from a place of care and it's 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 not a personal attack whatsoever. And and that's just that's been a really, really cool um, environment to be in. And I think that a lot of businesses are actually dismissing that. People are really, really, really scared to say, hey, this project that you've done is is not very good work or you've made a mistake or you need to pull up your socks. Like, especially in Canada, like people are so polite, right? So um, yeah, that, that, that candor piece is just huge for me. And I, I see that as a sort of a universal trait of high-performing companies. So, so I have a thought on that. Um, something I've been, I've been experimenting with recently in, um, in, in, it's basically up more on the topic of, of like being positive and having a positive attitude. And so kind of lately I've been really just thinking about a lot about, uh, I've been reading some studies just about how powerful your mindset is mm-hmm. and having a positive mental attitude and how, um, you know, you actually, you actually can get into a state of flow faster if you're, if you're in a positive state versus a negative state or a fearful state. Um, you can, you're more creative, you can come to solutions faster. And if that's not enough motivation for you, I mean, it, it is for me, that's plenty of motivation for me to try to stay positive. So I, I, I started this thing, um, you know, I went around the office and I was like, Hey guys, I'm trying to be positive. If you hear me say anything negative, five bucks, I'm going to give you five bucks. Just call me out on it. It's going to be five bucks. And what I've noticed just even in the last couple of days of doing that, and I guess real quick side note too, is that that's, that's one thing I'm trying to create within the organization is a culture of positivity. And when I notice that I'm scared about something, I get really critical and I start really trying to poke holes and stuff. And then I notice how it affects my direct reports or people on my team. When I start getting critical, then they start like getting combative right back. So they, they, they reciprocate that attitude and why I think people aren't more candor, uh, candid is because they're afraid, you know, they're afraid that they don't want to get in a fight with anybody. They don't want to, you know, and, and so I think one idea is that if you can create a culture that's safe for people, um, and meaning that you're just positive, like even when they're wrong, you could still be, you could still tell somebody they're wrong and be positive about it. Oh, right? totally. Other than like ripping their throat out or, you know, whatever it is, like in, in America, at least, I think there's a lot of that going on, you know, mm-hmm. which is different than Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of really rough organizations, right? Um, but if you can create a, a positive environment that still values, right, the, you know, the, the excellence, you can, you can always have these really productive conversations that are safe and that you can get your ideas across and, and get them and have them be received um, rather than like, you know, tell me more about this idea. Well, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? Totally. And I'm just drilling holes in it, and it just makes people feel like shit you know, totally. at the end of the day. Yeah, I think a precursor to this, like kind of a foundation of a strong performance culture in the context of what we're talking about is this notion that it isn't personal. Because that's really what I think people have to understand to to not take criticism in any kind of negative way. Because if I am critical about an idea, I'm doing which you it because, which I am, uh, <laughs> I'm doing it because I care about our organization. I care about you and your performance and our organization's performance. It's nothing, it's not about Benji. It's about how do we get to the best possible idea as directly and as quickly as possible. And in that, you can also trust that you will always know my real opinion. 
on something. Totally. And I think that a lot of people waste a lot of time being like, how does this person actually feel? Right. And that is a just arduous and relatively useless road to go down. You're pussyfooting around the point for yeah. years sometimes. That's a, that's a really funny comment. Hey, like you and I have a lot of water under the bridge. Like I'd say eight years now. And um, mm -hmm. I remember in the early days, just being like, I could not believe how direct you were mm -hmm. on feedback. And uh, like to the point where my feelings would be hurt. I'd be like, oh my God, like I missed the sales goal. And like, you are all pissed. And, you know, now... It's one of the things I love about you the best because it's like you you never you I never wonder what you actually yeah, think. You know ever. what it is. I'm just like, okay, cool. If that was a miss, let's just like do what we need to do to make it better. It's 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 you know it's it's taken a, a while. It's you know we've been in a, such a good place for such a long time. But in the in the early stages of it, I remember that being a real thing. I had to round the corner on is is it's not personal. Totally. Yeah. And, and, and looking back at it, I think that's probably a good realization for us as an organization that maybe that's something we could have, should have done a bit better early on is to set that stage of things aren't personal within these walls. Totally. Right. And, and I think from a context setting and an onboarding into a performance culture, I think that that's, um, that that's an important place to start. A conversation to have early. Yes. Yeah. Well, too, and I think, and I think kind of going back to the personality types, right? Like Igor, like you strike me like as a very high conscientious person, mm -hmm. and I haven't spent that much time with you, but I, I, that's that's the like, based on the comments that you're making, and you know, your and your attitude, and even just what you said about, hey, it's not personal. It's like it's like things, not people, right? Things, not people. And Benji, you strike me more as like a like a mm -hmm. extrovert, friendly kind of bubbly, type, I, right? So yeah, so I can see how early on, right you can be kind of talking past each other a little bit, like, and how I, I, how your feelings could get hurt too. But, but in a growing organization, right, you're going to have all these different personality types coming in and out, right? Totally. Some people, they just want, they just want the information. They want to be to the point. Other people are going to want to, they're going to want to tell you about their day for a little while. I got a contractor, right? He wanted to hang out at his truck. I'm like, I'm like, I gotta go, man. <laughs> He's like, wanted to tell me about like, about life. And he's like a great contractor, you know? So I, I think just understanding these things about the different personality types will help your people in general communicate better. Because again, one of the things that I think is one of the, the critical things is working well with other people. You know, can you make these ideas come to fruition, not by force, but by, you know, by the give and take and the, you know, yeah. Totally. Is it finding that balance between these two axes? There's, there's, there's the care for people, and then there's the care for results, and and you want to have a max score on both. Totally, you, ha you have to yeah. look at both. Yeah, the, the interesting, or otherwise you won't get one. The interesting realization here that that I think is 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 important to be to be grounded on, which none of us are perfect in, is that if you want to create something great in whatever your industry might be, you can't do it yourself, and therefore it's going to mm -hmm. take a large group of people. There's no way around that fact. And if you're going to go down that road and you're going to have a larger group of people do that, you're going to have many different personalities. And as a leader, you have to be able to manage that as effectively as possible. We're, none of us are perfect, far from it. But that, I think, has to become the focal point because otherwise you just you aren't going to be able to grow in the number of people. And as an organization, you're not going to be able to have the impact in the world that you want to, or that you might absolutely. Want to. It's a really great perspective. LeBron James talks about this a lot. Does he? He does. Yeah, he's like he's like everything. Everything that you see that's amazing in the world was built by a team. 
Totally. Not by an individual. Exactly. Every single thing was built by a team. It's yeah. all about the team. And um, yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's it, you you know it's going to take a long time. You know it's going to take a lot of people, a tremendous amount of resources, which is why this sort of like long term approach, like we, we were talking about investing the other day, it's like you you can't be short sighted with this. You totally got to have skin in the game. Yeah, and you got to have a long runway. Absolutely, and and I think that brings us to to another important kind of ingredient. Um, and I'd love to get some of you know, how Nestor navigates some of these things in in the business, but uh, another key ingredient around a performance culture, which is continually celebrating success mm. because through the being critical and through the being real with each other and the, and the challenges, if you're going to have that long-term perspective and you want to create something great in the world, uh, it's going to take time and to, to, to stay engaged and to be, you know, to Nestor's point, positive, you have to be able to celebrate success. So I'd love to know a bit, uh, Nestor, like what are some of the rituals that you guys have within the organization to uh, to celebrate the wins, to, to reward performance and to highlight performance? Yeah, so we, over the last year, we've uh, started doing tons and tons of contests. Contests and challenges galore, right? I mean, that's, that's what we do. And it, and it's funny just how much of a difference it will it will change the how it, how it will change the energy within the organization, right? When you don't when you don't have any contests going on, you don't have any celebrating the wins, you don't have any prizes, you don't have any incentives. It's it's kind of becomes mundane, you know. And the work's hard. I mean, mm-hmm. what we're doing is hard work, right? So just doing the mundane, you know, the energy just kind of just starts to creep lower and lower and lower. But when, so what we found is like, especially on the sales end of it, you know, when we can do rewards, like, uh, you know, we had a, we bought one of these like, like wheels that you can, you know, buy and, and write things on each, uh, each piece of the wheel and spin the wheel and you can win prizes. And with a relatively small budget, it just created a ton of energy and momentum on the team because every time somebody got a sale, they would get to spin the wheel. And sometimes it wouldn't be anything. It'd be an inspirational quote. Other times it might be, you know, 500 bucks. Uh, other times it would be, uh, you know, I think it was called the wheel. The wheel of glory is what you got to spin if you got a sale. But one of the, one of the landing spots was the wheel of destiny. And it was a smaller wheel. It was just a smaller wheel on the desk. And so you'd spin this little wheel, but it would have like AirPods or, um, you know, just, a, just like higher, higher ticket items. And, uh, what we found is just that, you know, when you gamify things, you just create so much energy because you, you really appeal to, um, you know, pe- people have a, a desire for incentives, right? I mean, this is like basic economics, right? They, they like, they'll, they'll do something to get something. And so when you can, when you can, uh, like, you know, scratch that itch. And then in addition to that, you can kind of gamify it with the contest. You can bring out the competitive people right? The people that are competitive that naturally want to win, it doesn't even matter what the prize is, right? They just want to be number one, right? And as soon as somebody's keeping score, they're going to be on it because they hate losing. Like I'm kind of one of those people. Like I never want to see my name at the bottom of, of the list of, of people. I just don't want to do that. So I don't, I don't want to play to lose, you know? Um, but that's, that's coming from like a long career in sales. Um, and so I think just, so right now what we're doing is we're, we're doing lots of things to gamify. So right now we're gamifying our production. Uh, we're going to be, you know, creating like a point system. So 
you get so much such and such points for doing an install within a certain amount of time you get such and such points for um you know if it passes inspection a first time around safety you get points continuing education you get points so how do you integrate your core values right you can gamify it right like hey what would it look like to have mastery within this organization oh well we need to go take such and such training okay well why don't we gamify it and why don't we make an incentive um Another one we just dropped today. Uh, if you can get a customer to leave a review, twenty bucks, and that's for all for everybody, like everybody in the company. So now you have a reason to call that customer and see how they're doing and see if they had a good experience. And by the way, ask them if you can get a review. So you and it doesn't have to be a lot of money that we're talking about. It's just the fact that you're you're doing something novel, and sometimes people just need novelty, you know, because the because sometimes the work gets boring yeah. when you're just doing the same thing over and over again. But when you're you're constantly, you know, like, uh, sorry, I'm not I'm kind of going on on this, but you know, for example, in the office, we we found that we weren't putting projects through as fast as we thought we could, and so what what I did is I got everybody in the room, and I said, um, you know, Chris and I had this conversation, and we think we could do it in 14 hours per job, and it was taking like 21 hours a job, and like, what do you guys think? They're like, oh yeah, I don't know. I think so. Maybe. And it was like, cool. I believe it so much. Like I want to incentivize this thing. So I want everybody to pick a prize worth 800 bucks. I think so. It's like five people times 800 bucks. And I want you to pick a prize. That's going to be one thing. I want you to print this thing off. We're going to put it on the wall. So everybody did put it on the wall. And, uh, and that's a contest we're running now. So we're basically trying to get the speed um, within the office for each project to get through all of the steps in the process within 14 hours versus 21 hours. And then they're going to get this reward, but it's brought this new level of energy and creative thinking because rather than just doing it the same way we've been doing, which does, which doesn't go very fast, everybody's like, you know what? We could do this differently. We could do that differently. Um, Hey, how about we divide the workload here? And then they're working together to figure out how do they collectively hit this goal so that they can get the prize. So totally there are a few ways. Um, but I think, I think gamifying things is a great way to, to get anything that you want done, whether it's more sales, whether it's integrating the core values, um, increasing your install speed, lowering your production costs. Um, it's a great way to do that. One of the things we're almost like taking it for granted, just in that awesome conversation here that, uh, with, with Nestor, but one of the things that's, kind of at the root of everything he's talking about is these 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 contests the prizes the goals if you will are very defined in everything that he's saying and what we see a lot in this industry is stuff is very general and vague like just keep producing work which is we typically again see in this industry but that's not what people rally around people rally around like defined clear goals typically with a timeline because that's in our biology right we've been doing this and that's why people have had fun together in groups forever it was like we need to go bring that down that mammoth today totally. as a group how are we going to go do that right and then and we engage that's a great point um what i what i've seen because we've made this mistake where you know, production is low. So let's change the comp plan. Like something's wrong with the comp plan. So let's change the comp plan. We change the comp plan right. and, and like we get everybody excited about it. Right. So the sale, the sales or the production goes up, then it just goes right back to, um, to where it was. Yeah. And so what we've learned is that it's, it's really not the comp plan. It's about the hype. It's about the energy. It's about the recognition. 
it's about the reward totally um but but mo- more so the recognition and the hype really you know like if you make a big deal out of something you know especially as key leadership senior leadership you make a big deal at, people see that and they're like man like if i'm gonna do something like i i'd rather do it and be recognized as being awesome for it than just doing it you know people uh, the recognition piece is huge nester and people are almost afraid to admit it because they're they worry <laughs> that it makes them seem egotistical or like narcissistic people being recognized as someone that is good at your job or elite in their role or a high yep. performer people want that they need it they're desperate for it so if you can do if you can serve it up to them on a silver platter you're gonna see it gives you meaning it gives you meaning and, it, and it, they're gonna get their hassing here like this conversation comes up all the time at conferences people are like well we, let's talk about comp plans you'll do like people are like you know they got the whiteboard out and the markers and they do have this hugely elaborate complicated plan that they think is going to produce more results i'm like you know what's going to work better it's like what does your underperforming sales guy really care about well he's a good snowboarder i'm like okay go go tell him you'll put him on a heli trip at the end of the year if he hits this no not even the end of the year end of the quarter if he hits this quarterly goal because the short term the short term time frame uh works better than long term as well but i think generally speaking people just like totally overcomplicate this it's like Make it personable, make it shorter term, and you're going to see a fun. result. And make it fun, and make it public. Like, like that—that's the hype piece. Like, put it in the success channel in Slack. Make a company bulletin. Make sure that they get a moment to sort of say, "Yeah, I did it. I won. I hit the goal. Whatever." Um, rather than this big, long, elaborate sort of this much salary plus this much, you know, variable pay, but only on these metrics. Like, you know, you don't. Yeah, need all I that. really, I really believe, like, you know, that it should be, it should be a, a budget line item, you know, in every PNL is just contests and hype and you know, pr- it, production. It's like a production incentive, you know, and just to budget that in. Totally. And then you can budget more if you, you know, if you go above that and you can throw more money into that bucket and make it more interesting. Amazing. Such great practical tools. Um, that one and the many others that we that we covered in this episode. There's so much more we can talk about. It's it's such a powerful topic, this performance culture, perhaps for another episode one day with, with, with Nestor. But for today, um, I want to close out uh, Nestor, just with, with one kind of final question for you. You're a very passionate guy. There's so much that you believe in um, and that you love to create. Um, and my question is this. I, I know now. I know you've got multiple offices in a bunch of different cities. Hypothetically, if all of your staff were in one place, in one office, and you had one big billboard walking into that office that everyone sees coming in from the parking lot, what message would you put on it for, your, for all of your staff? Oh, man. Um, you know... I've really been on, I like get probably would change if you asked me in three months, but I've really been on this leadership kick. Um, so I've, I've recently just read, uh, actually read this book in like three hours. It's, uh, I don't know if you can see that, John but it's, Maxwell? it's developing the leader within you 2.0 John Maxwell. I mean, um, so I, really what I've been thinking a lot about is like, what legacy do you want to leave? Mm. And I think that question, like asking that question to everybody, putting it on a billboard, right? This is what, like, like, what is it? do you want to be known for, you know, being lazy and being a sluggard and not really doing what you're supposed to be doing? Or do you want to be somebody that was known for, you know, being a hard worker and, and doing the right thing and being honest and, you know, and just being like a quality person, <laughs> you know, uh, that, so something like that, like, you know, what, what, what do you, what do you want your legacy to be? Something like that. 
That's a powerful statement. That's a powerful question to ponder. Um, and ponder it, we shall. Nestor, awesome. let's leave it there. It's uh, It's been so good chatting with you. Um, I'm really excited to pour over what we've just talked about. There's probably dozens of, of really practical pieces of advice that that our listeners can can take home um so thank you so much for for being here and and we hope to have you on again sometime soon awesome Awesome. thanks for having me guys thanks nestor hey if you enjoyed this show hit that subscribe button it's what allows us to produce more awesome content for you totally for free